Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is Ben DuBose, old friend of the show, who covers the Rockets now for USA Today's The Rockets Wire. Also, he's with Sports Talk 790. And his new podcast, The Logger Line, has a ton of great guests. And just a reminder, Ben also graduated from the best journalism school in the country, which is what school again, Zoo. Ben? <laughs> Zoo, M-I-Z. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also a uh, little Derek Chivas. We got uh, a couple guys with Mizzou ties with the Rockets. Uh, the brief Damari Carroll tenure. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Yeah, the Damari Carroll tenure. I forgot about that. Uh, man, am I jacked to talk summer league with you, and I want to come at you one at a time with some key guys. We'll start with Jabari. And in the summer league, I don't care about your shooting percentage or your points. I'm watching all the little stuff, Ben, defense, mm-hmm. communication, leadership. And Ben, I've seen all all the reasons I love this guy when they drafted him, he's everything you want for your culture. Yeah, I actually feel better about him because we got to see how he handled some adversity that first, uh, especially game and a half. We know he turned it on offensively in the fourth quarter in the OKC game against Chet Holmgren, and that carried over into the Spurs game on Monday. But one of the big things that can often sort of determine whether a top prospect pans out is how do they get through adversity? Because some of these guys, they lose their confidence, they develop bad habits, and One of the things I really like from Jabari is that even though the shots definitely did not go his way the first uh, game and a half, what Rafael Stone refers to as shot luck, the process never changed. He largely kept taking the same shots. He didn't let it take a toll on his effort or anything on the defensive end. And then, of course, the way they won that Oklahoma City game with Jabari diving on the floor to get that loose ball with 12 seconds left in a one-point game. If your most talented player is doing the dirty work like that, that sets a really good tone. And it's a great balance for the Rockets because, you know, the first three big pieces of their rebuild in 2021, certainly Jalen Green, but you hope Alperin Shingun and uh, Kevin Porter Jr. can be those types of guys we're all tilted towards the offense. And I don't think that's because the Rockets don't value defense. It's just that, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You have to take the best asset available, especially that early in a rebuild and worry about the fit later. But I do think it's nice now that you're seeing those first three pieces that are so good offensively starting to get balanced by guys like Jabari Smith and Tari Eason that do the dirty work defensively. And I think it's going to be a nice blend and their style should be fairly complimentary. And if you think about it, the Rockets are basically replacing Christian Wood with Jabari and his body, an offensive game, though similar to Wood, everything else is different. The criticism with his game, of course, is his ball handling, Ben, but I loved his quote. He said, when people talk about my ball handling, I feel like that's going to come when I get older and stronger. I'm not trying to be Steph Curry when that's not what I can do right now, but am I working on it? Yes. How can you say I'm not working on it, unquote? And Ben, when he opens his mouth, every time Jabari opens his mouth, I love everything he says, and I'm so impressed that he knows his game and plays to his strengths. And ultimately, I think that's why just as much as uh, Jabari is a good fit for the Rockets roster, like we were talking about, I also think the Rockets roster is a good fit for him. Because relative to, say, Orlando, 
in which I'm not going to say that Houston is head and shoulders ahead of Orlando when it comes to the talent on the roster, but I do think the Rockets are ahead of the magic when it comes to perimeter creators, guys that can create their own offense. Certainly Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., but also Alperin Shingun, even though he's a big, he can create his own shot, he can pass. And so I think it's going to let Jabari bring along those weak elements to his game, the shot creation a bit more slowly, because if you do it too quickly, that's how you can develop some bad habits that are tough to sort of um, kick when you're really ready physically. And you can, you know, the analogy that I'll draw, I know this is lofty praise, but look at how the Spurs developed Kawhi Leonard. When Kawhi Leonard came into the league in the mid-2010s, his handle was not strong. He was not a shot creator. He did a lot of these other things that we're talking about with Jabari. But because the Spurs had this Hall of Fame class intact, it was something that Kawhi could just gradually bring out over the years. Now, I'm certainly not comparing the Rockets with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. to the championship Spurs of 2014. Let's not go crazy. But what I am saying is in the context of rebuilding teams like the Rockets, like the Thunder, like the Magic, I do think that the composition of this roster in Houston will allow Jabari to work on those other elements like the shot creation, the ball handling a little more slowly and play to his strengths early in his career. After three games, Tari Eason's averaging 27 minutes, 16.6 points, 11.6 rebounds, 45.5% from the field, 1.3 steals, and a block per game. But all of that, for me, Ben, all of the offense especially is icing on the cake. The guy is everything that he's been advertised on the defensive end. What did you see, and is there any chance he's the starting small forward this year? I don't think he's the starting small forward simply because uh, Eric Gordon and Jay Sean Tate just have a lot more experience ahead of him. Now, as the year progresses, I wouldn't rule anything out, and especially if uh, there are trades during the season or somebody gets hurt. I think it could be at some point. I don't think day one, just because Jay Sean Tate, even if they do want to go a little bit bigger than Eric Gordon, I think Jay Sean Tate is a little ahead of Easton just in terms of the NBA experience angle. And of course, you know, the four and five are going to be Jabari and Alperin Shingun. So I don't think it's happening day one, but I do think that over time, he is going to play. He's going to be tough to keep out of the rotation really from day one because the clear emphasis for Steven Silas is going to be improving the defense. And, you know, it's a low-key thing, but I've said it in some of my podcasts this offseason. It's a huge year for Steven Silas. This is sort of the the make-or-break year, year three of a four-year contract, and his fourth year isn't even fully guaranteed. The Rockets are going to have to decide if Steven is the guy. And when you look at Steven Silas, his pedigree on offense is well-known. The questions, of course, he hasn't really led a defense before. They did bring in Lionel Hollins to help improve that side of the ball. And to this point, they've been absolutely terrible the last few years on defense, dead last this past season. And some of that's not his fault. It was a very young roster. And as we mentioned earlier, the young pieces they got a year ago were not very tilted towards defense in terms of the makeup of their games. But yeah, there's going to be a clear emphasis, I think, uh, even in a rebuilding season, Steven Silas wants to show that he's the guy long-term. He's going to do everything he can to maximize that defense. And it's hard not to see Tari Eason maximizing your defense, uh, not just in terms of his versatility and his strength, the massive hands, but I think just in terms of the tone that he sets. That's something that's true with Tari. It's true with Jabari. Some of the bad habits that we've seen from time to time with some of those other young Rockets players, 
it's really tough to be on the floor and not doing the little things when you see Jabari and Tari setting that tone, those types of culture guys. It's one thing when Jay Sean Tate is the only guy doing it and he's, you know, a role player in his first or second year. When you have two first run picks, including the third overall, and you're talking two, three players in the court at all times that are that dialed in and focused defensively. It makes it all the more glaring to these other guys when those lapses occur, and it makes it, in my opinion, less likely those lapses are going to occur simply because they're going to stand out a lot more. So I don't see a scenario barring injury where Eason jumps Tate uh, day one, but I do see scenarios where he plays a lot because I do think his tone is absolutely essential to what Steven Silas is going to want to prove over this coming season. Let me ask you, and, I, and I'm going to get to the the point guards in summer league in a second. But b- based on what you're talking about, and you know who the starter is going to be personally, and I don't know how you feel about this. I'm not big on Eric Gordon starting if he's still on the team come the fall mm-hmm. because Eric Gordon is so inconsistently in the lineup with you know him not being able to play back to backs, and yeah. and he's not a long term guy. He could be traded at the deadline for for the consistency and the future of the team. You might want some guys developing chemistry that are going to be on the team long-term as a starter. I understand his uh, ability to stretch the floor, but you know, that's my feeling on Eric Gordon. Tate can't stretch the floor. And I feel like Garuba, who's had a very difficult time, even staying in the mix here. I yeah. think he's not in the mix no. as the big coming off the bench. And I, I, I feel like Tate's best position is at like a four or five coming off the bench, and, and that's where you can utilize him the best. I, I just see it's a very good possibility because Eason can't stretch the floor, and with Shane Goon out there to start the game and, and not being able to stretch the floor, and we heard Silas say that he's going to have him start with Jabari Smith, basically is what he said during summer league when they interviewed him during the game. Yeah, well, actually, there was a really interesting interview on this uh, point that Adam Spillane just put out there. It's on, uh, I think it's on 610's YouTube, but Spillane got a one-on-one with Silas a couple of nights ago. And Silas, you know, he didn't tip his hand. He mentioned Eric or JT, meaning Jason Tate, you know, starting at the three, but he actually sort of tipped his hand a little bit later in the interview. He said that it was important for them to not have Jason Tate guarded by fives, and that's why he liked playing Tate with Shingun, because obviously other teams are going to have to use their five on Shingun given his uh, strength. So that was kind of interesting to me, and it suggested that they at least want to start the year. And you have a good point on Gordon as far as the availability. Um, even though I think he's clearly the better player, yeah, when you're yanking the rotations around because he's not going to play back-to-backs and you're doing all the maintenance things, then, it, yeah, that does make it tough to build the sort of routine that they want and I think it's especially important early in the year you know last year that entire season got started off sideways when they had that one and 16 start the wood Daniel Tice double bigs and that just set a bad tone for everything the whole year they want to get off to a better start and it sounds like to me that Tate could be the guy because if you play Tate with Shingun it's a lot harder for the opposing defense to just stick their five on Tate which is really what they view as something that's clogged their offense the last couple of years. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, you know, you still have two non-shooters with Tate and Shane Goon unless one of those guys takes a huge yeah. jump this year. And, and Which, I, by I, the way, they do they do swear that Tate's, you know, tweaked his form in the offseason <laughs> and that he's shooting a lot better. But again, lots of guys say that. The proof is in the pudding when the shots actually go in. Yeah, we saw the the shooting footage of him last summer league and he sat and shot after shot and it, it just didn't happen in this regular season. The, the other story in the summer league, the two point guards, and I've heard you and others say they like what they saw from Deshaun Nix. And Ben, let me just tell you what I see from Deshaun and Ty Ty. And maybe you can explain what I'm yeah, missing. Yeah, I saw your C grade and I was like, wow, that's harsh. I see what you're seeing with Josh. I don't see what you're seeing with Deshaun. So explain. 
Okay, so Dacian showed signs that his three-point shot might be improving. I'm still skeptical because it's only three summer league games. His free throw shooting still looked terrible, 40% in summer league. He has no mid-range game, no floaters, can't finish around the basket for a point guard. Uh, you know, his ball handling is, a, I think it's still a little bit loose. Ty uh, Ty looks better at all of that. The mid-range game, the floater around the basket. Dacian's passing is better than Ty Ty, but that's about it. I mean, Ty Ty, his defense isn't much different than Nick's at this point from what I can tell, but Dacian, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of improvement in, in a lot of different, what am I missing from him? Well, I actually do think that he's pretty good with the floater game going to his right. Now, I do think it's a weakness when he's going left, but I've actually seen him finish through contact on drives to his right a little bit. Uh, that was at least more than what he did at the NBA level a year ago. Now, I know he did obviously score a high level in the G League, but the, the G League is the G League. We're talking about doing it against the true upper echelon competition and whether he can do that. Uh, for me, I, I see Dacian as a really good fit at um, – the NBA level with the structure of the Rockets because they should have the floor spacing. And he's a guy who I think with his penetration ability, again, you know, the one criticism, I I do think that going left is sort of his weaker side. And so, you know, he's going to have to adjust counters to when guys tilt that way. But I do think that here's his awareness, his ability to sort of pass at all angles. We've seen a few times him, you know, basically probing the old school uh, TJ Ford angle, if you will, of just going, you know, baseline and kicking it out and having the cross-court vision. Um, I mean, I think your points are well taken. Uh, the free throw thing does drive me nuts, too. Like, there's no excuse that the guy who can make threes should be shooting, you know, mid-50s from the free throw line. Uh, the, the touch is there, as evidenced by the threes. It's just a matter of work. Um, but I do think that... When you're talking about a backup role at the NBA, you don't have to have all of those skills that you listed. I mean, the the skills that you listed are, you know, mitigating factors to him ever being like a starting level point guard and playing like 30, 35 minutes because, yeah, just the overall offensive package is not there. But in terms of a reserve point guard, that's a nice change up from Kevin Porter Jr. Because the one thing that you don't know about Kevin Porter Jr. is how good of a facilitator he is for the team as a whole. Is he going to be able to get everybody else involved? I think Nix is a perfectly capable um, floor general. And so I guess the reason that I would give him a higher grade, for me, it's within a certain context. It's within the idea of, hey, here's someone that you can trust for 15 minutes a night to go out and run a functional NBA offense to get the ball to the right guys in the right spots. I don't think he has a ton of upside for the reasons that you listed. I don't really see like the explosive like scoring potential. And in today's NBA, that's something that's more important than ever in the backcourt. But I do think that you know, I, I just consider Nick's like the probing model. He doesn't have the explosion to his game that Ty Ty does and the burst that can really take over a game with his scoring. But I do think there's a role, especially for a young team looking for sort of backcourt stability. You can use him in limited doses. That's the way I'd put it. Yeah, I guess I'm just comparing because this is all we were doing right now is who would you put over who and, and Ty Ty you know, his all the offensive game with Ty Ty is just much more there than I think than Deshaun. Deshaun's passing, obviously, a little bit better. But Ty Ty's passing shouldn't be underrated because he really didn't get to play point guard at Kentucky. And he had a 17 assist game when he did get to play point guard at Kentucky. Well, it, he can, but I think, it, it, you know, it's not just about the passing skill. It's also about 
you know, the things I appreciate about Dacian is the feel he has for the offense. Like you'll look and, you know, I called it out during the Spurs game, but that pick and pop he had with Jabari Smith near the top, uh, near the end of the uh, first half where he hit Jabari at the top for that three. It's not just that he made the pass and put it in the shooter's pocket. It's that he waited, took an extra dribble, made Jabari's guy commit and then made that pass to where it was too late to ever contest it at all. There's another one that he actually did with uh, Ty Ty late in the first half of the um, Oklahoma City game on Saturday. And it's just, he does a lot of little instinctual things. Like, I agree with you that Ty Ty is the more talented player. And I think that might show up in Summer League a little bit more because it's so... Um, disorganized inherently because there's not much practice time and so a lot of summer league comes down to just how much you can beat your guy off the dribble and score at different levels and that's something that Tai Tai shows I mean I think he just has because he has just more bounce than Dacian does but Dacian to me has a lot of poise he has a lot of old school traditional skills that I don't think summer league is necessarily the best for fully bringing out given the lack of structure but I do think that again he's just a very old school approach for a Rockets team that is decidedly new school. And I guess, you know, for me, he's a good balance. For me, the Rockets have so many other spots on the roster, especially in the backcourt. When you look at, you know, Jalen's going to be Jalen, but Kevin Porter Jr. and Josh Christopher, there's so many other positions where they're gambling on sort of shot creation and offensive upside and worry about the defense later. I think Dacian is a nice hedge, a guy who, you know, isn't as isn't as upside tilted as those other backcourt guys, but gives you a much higher floor is a bit higher IQ. And to me, he's just a useful hedge. I agree that Tai Tai has bigger long-term upside, but I just think for the composition of this like very young team next season, I, you know, I could see Dacian being useful. You know where I'm going with Joss Christopher. Most of us diehards who watch wanted to see less tunnel vision, better off ball defense, real improvement in areas that he wasn't good in last year. Maybe it was wishful thinking, but I thought he flashed at the end of the season, at the end of last season, Ben, that, you know, I thought, well, maybe he could play with Jalen and JPJ even potentially in a starting lineup because mm. he can shoot and play defense. He's not any different size-wise than Jay Sean Tate. And if he could show a leap in defense and passing, that he'd even have a chance to start potentially this year, especially yeah. with, with maybe Eric Gordon gone or whatever. Yeah, it's been a mixed summer league for him. I mean, I do like what we saw late in the San Antonio game, you know, sort of channeling the energy, saving it for that last closing burst and making some plays. But boy, especially the Orlando game was just rough. Um, I think Josh is a guy that the summer league format, especially the composition of this particular summer league roster, doesn't really suit his game, especially not his present game because the Rockets don't really have many guys that can truly create their own offense. Uh, you know, we, and everybody, the fans want to go in and Jabari Smith and Tari Eason are the two guys that everybody wants to see. And I completely understand why yet neither one of them really creates their own offense. And so basically it's sort of the opposite of last year when the Rockets went into the 2021 summer league, Jalen and Shingun, even not having played the NBA yet, were so good as creators, you could run everything through them and the offense just sort of makes itself run. Whereas with Josh, uh, whereas with this roster and where Josh fits into it, I don't know who else is going to really create. As we talked about with Dacian, you know, you start with um, Josh and Dacian in the backcourt. Dacian's not really a guy who's going to make plays one-on-one. -on -one. 
they started Anthony Lamb over Ty Ty Washington or a little bit bigger. Anthony Lamb's been absolutely terrible. Um, and so I agree with you that like on his drives, like Josh has had tunnel vision, but I think, you know, the ideal role for Josh Christopher is not being like super high usage, which this roster sort of forced him into his ideal role is sort of being that secondary guy. And, you know, typically he's playing with one of Jalen Green or Kevin Porter Jr. on the court. And so he's able to attack, but do it more out of leverage scenarios where he's more likely, you know, to have an angle that he can use to finish at the rim or a pass that's just more clearly wide open because the defense is stretched. Whereas here, he's having to do everything himself. The Rockets, they know that he's much more of a shooting guard than a point guard. I've talked to people within the team. That's what their data shows. He's much more um, to their benefit when he's working off the ball as a combo as opposed opposed to someone that's on the ball. And then especially game one, for whatever reason, the Rockets did not run any real offense at all against Orlando. And I think some of it's because, you know, they'd only had a week of practice time and you'd thrown a lot of guys together. And for whatever reason, Rick Higgins just went ISO heavy and there was very little structure. Whereas starting in the second half of that Magic game, but then really the last two games, they've run a lot more traditional sets and they've sort of given the keys to Dacian Knicks. And that's where I think is it's unlocked a lot more shots than the flow of the offense for guys like Jabari and Tari who have shot more efficiently and, Uh, Josh has gotten to pick his spots a a little bit more. But again, the problem is that, again, even Dacian's skill set, even if you're giving him, you know, more touches, more minutes to do his thing, again, he's not really a threat to truly uh, create his own offense. So when Josh is really your only guy that can do that, it's going to get a little ugly because defenses can totally hedge and tilt towards him and his vision as a creator, as someone that can, um, you know, find his teammates. I mean, that's still very much a work in progress and you know, it's disappointing. I I agree. Like ideally you would want to see more from him, but at the same time, I think that's something that's probably going to take, you know, more and more NBA reps to get to that level. So I would just say like, uh, you know, I agree with you. I see the frustration when fans see him going one on three and not kicking it out in a summer league where you want to see your rookies get as many touches and shots as possible. But I just will say sort of the structure of the roster and the structure of summer league in general doesn't do Josh Christopher any favors when you look at who he's playing with on this roster. Yeah. And EG is not a good role model for him because EG can have a little ton of tunnel vision of his own. So maybe that's not <laughs> the best guy to have around for him. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple of uh, maybe potential deals. And, and one of them mm-hmm. uh, is going to be controversial, I think. And Woj said Donovan Mitchell was on the market. And Donovan Mitchell is a 25-year-old all-star under contract for four years. He's averaged over 34 points in two of his last four playoff series. The big critique with him defense and that's deteriorated and nearly the entire offensive workload has kind of gone to him in the last few years and put on his shoulders and so maybe if he were to be out of a system like maybe with a Jalen Green or and a Jabari Smith for instance it would help him I tweeted that the Rockets should be willing to use some of their big draft capital on Donovan including the first next year and let me point out for those of you that if you finish with the fifth worst record next year which is probably realistic there's a 79% chance you aren't getting win by Yana. Yeah, there's a 20% chance that you you could. But, uh, you know, Daryl Morey, if he's going to Vegas with his MIT buddies, they're probably not betting on that, the fact that they're going to get win by Yana this year. I, I, am I crazy for suggesting that, you know, potentially maybe a couple of the Nets picks and, and, and that pick next year 
you the, the Donovan Mitchell is the third guy that you're looking for next year or in free agency or, or wherever you might find it. And this is a great opportunity, I think, Ben. I would have some interest. I would not include the 2023 Houston pick because even though you're right about the lottery odds, I just think in the NBA, it's so tough to win a title. You have to think upside. And even if the odds are fairly minimal, if you have that type of shot at a you know, truly elite guy, even if it's not Victor, even if it's like a Scoot Henderson type, the top of that draft is really, really strong. That's just one of those, you know, high upside swings that you need to keep. But I am open to trading some of that Brooklyn draft capital a lot more than uh, a lot of Rockets Twitter, it seems like. I, I feel like we've overcorrected to the other extreme when it comes to those Brooklyn draft picks. Like we've talked for so long about how the Bill Simmons thing about, oh, all those picks are going to be in the 20s through 2027. That was asinine. That was ridiculous. Anyone who follows VA knows that there's a lot of upheaval. With that said, the other extreme, it's not anything close to a given that any of those picks is going to be super high. In today's NBA, with so many teams that you know want to tank, as we've seen the Rockets largely do the last couple of years, um, actively trying to lose games, just the way they put the roster together uh, to get a high draft pick, if you are actively trying to win, it's very hard not to win at least 35 games. And what I mean by that is putting together a roster, you know, that has veterans that can come in, win now, you know, using like your your bench spots instead of on young guys that you're taking flyers on and hoping maybe they develop, you know, get these veterans who are falling through the cracks who you know can play. And as it stands now, that's what Brooklyn's going to do. With Brooklyn having no upside from bottoming out through the draft, then every year they're going to do everything they can to sign like this year. We've seen they signed TJ Warren, who's a pretty good gamble on a one-year deal and has a lot of upside. And if you are truly trying to maximize your wins every year, as opposed to taking more of a development emphasis and what works hand in hand with the development emphasis is that, hey, there's a good shot that, you know, just like the Rockets and the whole Oladipo experiment last year, hey, if this doesn't work out, then it's going to boost our draft odds. When the draft odds are not a part of the calculus at all and you are truly trying to maximize wins like every year, then there is sort of a floor barring like a crazy amount of injuries to your wins. And so I guess what I'm where I'm going with that in the context of just as people saying, oh, they're all going to be in the 20s, that's a terrible deal, it was stupid in 2021. Now, all of a sudden, Kevin Durant wants out and we know he's probably going to get out eventually. Well, now the Rockets are going to get like top three picks out of some of these Brooklyn picks in the future. That's overdoing it a little bit too. Uh, there's absolutely a world where you get a lot of solid picks like Tori Eason this year at 17, but not really any elite ones. So yeah, I do think that you should be open to be it Mitchell or someone else, packaging those Brooklyn picks whenever the opportunity is there. Uh, I do think that the deal would have to be really advantageous to the Rockets to do it now, simply because if you wait until a year from now, that the, the timeline just fits a lot more, both salary-wise, when you're going to have finances. Like right now, it's tough until August 24th for them to make any trade of consequence because they basically have no matching salary. Now, August 24th is when they can aggregate the guys they got in the Christian Wood trade, Marquise Chris, Trey Burke, Sterling Brown. 
Well, it, it, Eric Gordon, and he's making, I don't know, he's making 30, like Eric Gordon almost matches it, and you've got the, the Mavs yeah, guys, it, like well, you said. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, in in an abstract sense, there's not a ton that they can do right now. Now, Mitch, you're right. Mitchell, in his particular case, is low enough that his is a bit easier, uh, to, you know, to bridge the gap than some of the true uh, veteran Max guys. Um, but I would just say that beyond the – Beyond the salary matching component, you also have the fact that if you bring in a guy like Mitchell this year, he's probably going to take you to play in territory. He's going to make you a decent bit better, and that's going to harm your odds of a 2023 pick. Now, I'm not of a high 2023 pick. Now, I'm not saying there are no circumstances where you'd be willing to do that. Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is that you need to feel pretty confident that this guy is a lot better and or the terms of acquiring him is a lot better relative to what I feel like I can do in 2023. So, you know, I'm with you in that I wouldn't rule it out. Um, It's always interesting. The closer you get to like these free agent periods, it always feels a lot better in the abstract when guys are like, oh, we're going to have $70 million in cap room until you get closer and you look at who's really going to be on the market and available to spend that on. And, you know, mentioned the other day floating the possibility of you know a 33 year old james harden which you know i'm not totally ruling out but james harden is nowhere near donovan mitchell in terms of long-term value to a franchise that's you know that's just the truth and you know that's just one example i heard some other people talking about andrew wiggins on twitter this morning i mean he's a nice piece but uh, you know i think you would prefer donovan mitchell now you know we should point out again it's not just that there's also going to be trade options you never know who's going to get disgruntled nobody would have thought a year ago that kd was going to be in the situation that he is now so you do have to sort of weigh those possibilities against it too but yeah you know i'm with you in that i do think that you should poke around i would just say that mitchell um i i don't think he's a transcendent talent and so i would hesitate to sort of empty the cupboard for him, especially because acquiring him in 2022 would also lower your odds of getting, you know, of taking a big swing in the 2023 draft lottery. So I would say I'm interested. You should poke around. You shouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't be like crazy aggressive on it or anything. Yeah. And I guess my point would be once you acquire him, it doesn't matter because yeah, the whole idea is you're getting better and you're getting better faster. And I think somehow Rockets fans think, okay, next year we're going to get Wembyana, and then we're going to get this big free agent. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and LeBron James type free agent's going to come in. And all of a sudden, we're going to be a championship material next year. And the longer you wait, the harder it is to get out of this. And what what free agent's going to want to come to a team that's been one of the worst teams in the NBA for three straight seasons? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. A lot of people are too focused on everything lining up perfectly. And that's just not the way it typically works in the NBA. Like, try, you know, as you said, like being the worst team in the league and getting, you know, maximizing your lottery ads. Yeah, that's not going to make you that attractive to other veteran free agents around the league who typically want to win now. So it's a balance of these things. And that's what I said, you know, just looking at, can you get involved as like a third team facilitator in the KD talks and perhaps get a guy like Mikael Bridges? I would be open to that scenario as well. Um, The idea that, you know, everyone on Twitter wants the timing to work out perfectly. And we all know that, you know, next summer is when they're going to be trying to build uh you know if not a contending roster a roster that's going to try to win because you don't want starting in 2024 uh bad you don't want to be bad and just send the draft picks to OKC anyway because of the rush trade you want to be able to win so i'm with you on the general principle uh i would just say you have to weigh Mitchell against the other possibilities that are out there but yes you should be open 
this offseason, next deadline, you know, you shouldn't let your pursuit of a perfect linear timetable uh, keep you from jumping on an opportunity that's now. Because the, the, the odds of everything lining up perfectly, the odds are that's just going to be difficult to pull off. And frankly, the odds that everything goes perfectly for the Rockets next year in the lottery are really bad because they've gotten yeah. extremely lucky. The last two people don't understand if you flipped a coin, they would have lost, not gotten in the top two or three because, you know, they were nowhere near 50 percent of even You'd have Trey Mann instead of Jalen Green. Yeah, I mean, it's you, it, it could have easily gone the other way for them twice, and they've just gotten really lucky. So you want to keep flipping the coin, and you think it's still going to come in your favor, whether it's Sigma Jal with the the, the, the Astros, the genius uh, guy that used to, <laughs> that used to be a, a, a dealer in Vegas, or, or, or Daryl, they would all tell you, it, it, you know, getting this lucky and the odds are take the all-star if you can get him for sure. Um, the one thing the Rockets are missing Ben, and the last thing I want to ask you about is a shot-blocking vertical threat at center. The market's dried up in free agency. But let me ask you this one. The Pistons have Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, and Mar- Marvin Bagley as bigs. Would you or could you be interested in Nerland's Noel making $9 million the next couple of years? If you got somebody out there, he would be pretty easy to get if you needed to clear up some space uh, next year, I would assume. I mean, Nerlens Noel is a pretty solid player, and $9 million is not too much to get rid of. You could deal David Nwaba, Trey Burke, along with those two Mav second-round picks in the next few months and, and potentially get a guy like that. Yeah, for sure. And I would even throw in now it's a completely different model of center, but I would look at Kelly Olenek as well because I think his guarantee for next season, well, next season being 2023-2024, is uh, crazy low. Like, I want to say 2 or $3 million. So, in terms of long-term, it's very minimal. He's close to expiring. And so, yeah, I'm looking at the Detroit big situation between Noel and Olenek. I'd be interested different skill sets, but in one of those guys. Because, in general, you do need more certainty behind Shingun. Like, my biggest pet peeve, I do believe in Shingun's talent. I'm excited to see him, but there's a lot of Rockets fans that are extrapolating way too much. Look at the fouling issues he had last year against backups now you're going to be asking him to defend starters like that's a part of some of these like bench equations that a lot of people on twitter don't seem to get you can't just extrapolate what a guy does in a bench role going up against predominantly second teamers and then what's going to happen when he's going up against the likes of you know this is an extreme example but the top of the line Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid in the middle you have to sort of I agree with starting um, Shingun simply because you need to see what you have there. And I think it's advantageous to his development, but I also think you need more of a hedge because I think there's more uncertainty. I just feel like a lot of Rockets fans think that you can just pencil him as a starter and play him 30, 35 minutes a night and everything's going to work. Whereas last year he averaged like 5.2 fouls for 36 minutes going against backups. Now you're going to be absolutely against starters. So yes, it is something that, you know, I know that the leak is that, you know, of course they're looking not to take on long-term money. So we hear him looking at, you know, these bargain basement signings that are out there or young guys, even like the Ara Coleman types that are on the summer league team. But I'm with you. They should be looking around for something that's a little more proven, a little more um, veteran, um, because that's more of a question mark. And, and as you said earlier, I don't think that at this point you'd be silly to give it and say, Usman Garuba, small ball five, he's going to be the guy. Garuba's had a tough enough time just staying on the floor, period, and get out there in summer league. So I do think that's an important position to, to find a way to hedge if you can. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is that's why I kind of like take coming off at the four or five because I would rather have KJ Martin play the three. I trust him more playing uh, outside and, and and a more spread spread idea. And Tate, I think, can play the 
play the four or five. If Shangun gets in trouble, you move uh, Jabari, I think, and bench units could play against fives uh, with with his length. And it, to me, that's why it makes so much more sense because you've got somebody like uh, a KJ Martin and a Jay Sean Tate that can be more of a four. And, and, and so that's why I would prefer them to be coming off the bench, I guess. That's, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but that's the way I, I look at it. And I love Jay Sean Tate as a bench guy. I love him there. I don't love him in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair concern, at least. He's had two seasons of relatively high usage and he's shooting 31% from three. And it's really tough to have two non-shooters in the starting lineup. I think their perspective is that this is a year that you're still largely gathering data. And so I don't think they want to foreclose the possibility of Tate taking a jump with his three-point shooting into the mid-30s. Or, you know, Shingun actually looked pretty capable starting the year from three-point range. And then it just dramatically tailed off as the year moved along. So... I think they look at this as a year they can get more data, a bigger sample, and see if some of these things they talk about in the offseason actually do translate in terms of the the work on their mechanics and everything else. But like I agree with you long term. It's fair to have that it's fair to have that concern. I just think they're sort of looking at this as a year to get a bit more data. Everybody knows about what you're doing on USA Today, I think. Tell, tell people a little bit about the podcast. Give, give us a minute on that. Yeah, the logger line, you can find it at your distributor of choice. Just search for the logger line. It's an offshoot of uh, Clutch City Logger from Carbach Brewing, the primary sponsor. And uh, yeah, just generally the idea, I've wanted to get back in the podcasting game a little bit. I just obviously not want to do like a daily show like I did with Lockdown Rockets. That's just way labor intensive in the video too. I just wanted something from time to time that would give me an outlet to sort of interview guys, be it from the organization, other media members, just basically an opportunity for me to ask my own questions, pick their brains and, you know, on my own timetable and Carbox been nice enough to sponsor it. So I'm going to run with it uh, basically as long as we can. And, you know, we started off with uh, a lot of media members from the org. Um, well, the members of the org itself, like we had Gretchen Shear. We started with like Craig Ackerman, Kaylee Griffin, their media members. We've done a bit more like local and national media lately, simply because, the actual guys in the org, like with coaches and people ops, have been insanely busy the last few weeks when it comes to draft scouting and putting the summer league roster together. So I've leaned a little bit more on the media model. But yeah, now that things calm down after Las Vegas, I'm pretty optimistic that over the next few weeks, I should be able to get a couple of good guests from the uh, actual basketball side of the Rockets, since it's going to be the quieter time of their calendar. As always, man, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you doing the show with us. Absolutely happy to. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.